The minute that you get labeled a conspiracy theorist, pretty much everything that you have to say ceases to be taken seriously. The red pill is just about kind of shaking up your perception of the way that things really And on the understanding that what you've been told your entire life is a consciously constructed lie. You take the blue pill, the story ends, you wake up in your bed and believe whatever you want to believe. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. The idea of Project Bluebeam is that NASA, with the help of the United Nations, was attempting to implement a new age religion with the Antichrist at its head and start a new world order via technology simulating the second coming of Christ. I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. Hawkeye Media presents... Conspiracy with PJ and Abby. And that's the thing about conspiracy theories is like it's sometimes they're not going to be true. And it's okay. There's literally nothing wrong with asking the questions and pulling on the threads and doing the research. Right. It is what it is. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another Revelation stream with, uh, me, PJ Williams, and Abby Libby over here from Conspiracy Build. How's it going, Abby? Good, good. It's Monday. It's it is Monday. Monday. It's Monday, and I went back to work last night after three weeks off, and I'm oh <laughs> still waking up a little bit. So I'm about to have a week off, or almost a week off, because uh, driving to North Carolina to see my oldest friend and his wife um, for a few days, and then Easter, and then... John booked a concealed carry class on Thursday, so I had to take that day off work too. So nice, yeah, well, that'll be fun. Is like a whole like day long class, or yeah, yeah. Virginia is kind of annoying, but we did that. Yeah, so here, like I've lived in a few places in Washington. It used to be. I don't know if Washington State's still this way, but you just go in and like sign up. And Indiana mm. was the same way. You can get a lifetime in Indiana by just like filling out the paperwork. But in Michigan, it's like a full day class, and you have to shoot at the end and stuff like that. Yeah. So, yeah, cool stuff. Well, uh, for people who are not familiar, we are continuing our study of Revelation. We've been reading through it. Uh, Revelation is the one book of the Bible that says that you'll be blessed for reading it, and we want to uh, just read it and have a conversation around it. So it's not exactly like uh, it's not a sermon or anything. We're not like telling you what everything means. We ourselves want to understand it. We want to um, read through it from beginning to end and uh, talk with the audience and, and get your guys' opinions on it and stuff like that. And then I think down the road, we want to have people on who have different ideas and interpretations of it and have conversations with them about it. Because, um, you know, it's a conversation topic that comes up a lot in what we do. So, yeah, uh, I think it's it's good for a lot of reasons. Uh, and we are starting in Chapter 8. We're on the seventh seal and the golden censer. But before we get started, I think it's good to to just pray over the word and, and uh, pray that God speaks to us, reveals things to us. So if uh, you guys don't mind, I'm just going to say a, a prayer real quick. So uh, dear Lord, thank you so much for bringing us here today. Thank you so much for all that you've done for us, uh, for just the amazing people that show up and, and support us every week. Thank you so much for Abby and what a blessing she's been in my life. I just pray that you guide and direct us, Lord, that you uh, open up your word to us and speak to us through um, what you have in your holy word. And just pray for wisdom and for guidance and everything we say and do that we bring uh, glory and honor to your name. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. 
So, all right. This is fun. I like doing yeah, this, so I'm, I'm excited. <laughs> me too. Let's go. Let's go. All right. Hey, Kelsey. Good to see you in the Rumble chat and Blankets. Good to see you in the Odyssey chat. Oh, before we start, Blankets wants to know what Wednesday is about so that he can Yeah, sure. Me. So uh, Wednesday, we are going to be talking about this whole TikTok ban thing. And I think what's really going on with that, um, and it's going to go into a lot more stuff. We're going to be talking about just the idea of the Chinese psychological operations that are happening on the U S right now, Chinese chemical warfare, things like that. But also, uh, is there a huge difference between China stealing our data and what our government's doing with our data and maybe the reasons why they want to ban quote unquote TikTok, which is not at all what it's really about. So we're going to be going into a whole lot of different stuff. We'll be talking about life log. We'll be talking about, uh, Twitter files and all kinds of spying operations and, and what that really means for the future. So, uh, there's a lot of stuff there, and I'm pretty excited to talk about it. Also, welcome in, Emma. I see you over on Rumble as well. Appreciate having Emma you here. And 1205 on Odyssey. All yeah, right. what's up? Okay. And then YouTube. Yeah, no one cares about YouTube. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, chapter eight. When the Lamb opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. Then I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and seven trumpets were given to them. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer, and he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God from the hand of the angel. Then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it on the earth, and there were peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Yeah, so before we move on to the seven trumpets... Um, I find it interesting. You know, we obviously paused last time between reading the first six, which kind of like we're like boom, boom, boom. And then it seems like even in this one, it's like there's a there's a dramatic pause here of like this is different, big, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, I just find that interesting. Also, in uh I just have a little note here about the seven trumpets, right? Or no, wait, we're not on that part yet. No, it's right there. Mm-hmm. Angel who stood before God, seven trumpets were given them. Uh, it says in the Old Testament, the trumpet served as an announcement for important events and to give signals in time of war. So the seven trumpets of Revelation announced a series of plagues and more severe uh, than the seals, but not as completely devastating as the bowls. Hmm. That's something I've always like. That's another reason I like studying this is because I, I think it's easy to get the trumpets, seals and bowls mm-hmm. mixed up. So, yeah. And it seems like it seems like we saw what would have been the um, rapture at toward the end of the seven seals, like right after the sixth one, right? Uh, according to some people, yeah. Yeah. That's what it looks like to me, but we're not dogmatic about anything here. Right, yeah. Um, but this this whole piece of this theme of it's the second time I think it's been like the prayers of the saints are incense mm-hmm. and they're they're offering it before the throne and this like that's rising before God and then is he like mixing the fire from the altar with the prayers and then throwing it to earth am I <coughs> 
the smoke on the <clears throat> let me see the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose before God the hand of the angel then the angel took the censer and filled it with fire from the altar and threw it to the earth yeah I it hmm. seems like the prayers are directly related to this judgment that's happening on the earth yeah like you you have this whole multitude great multitude from every nation that's just been brought up to heaven mm-hmm and then yeah the hundred and forty four thousand sealed right and the great multitude in white robes yeah yeah and then then he's throwing this fire <clears throat> in the prayer onto the earth right which like we think of God as judging the earth but it seems like there's a couple indications here that the saints and the prayers of the saints are like fully involved in the judgment. Well, that's what I was thinking too, is like this dramatic pause. It's like it, it, the, the, the imagery it keeps giving us is this throne room of God with the saints and the angels and everything. So it's not, it's kind of like everybody is like coming mm-hmm. together and be like, this is a huge thing yeah. that we're all involved in. And we're all going to take a moment of silence and then we're going to mix the prayers mm-hmm. and the, you know, smoke from the altar and things like that. So it does seem like this, so, you know, silent uh, moment of everybody in heaven coming together for something right big. Yeah. Okay. Let's, yeah. Let's go to the trumpets. Now the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to blow them. The first angel blew his trumpet and there followed hail and fire mixed with blood. <clears throat> and these were thrown upon the earth and a third of the earth was burned up and a third of the trees were burned up and all green grass was burned up. I don't remember that in uh, Left Behind. It's been so long since I've really read or watched Left Behind. I, I there's things that stick out to me, like the you know Antichrist being like shot in the head and then reviving himself and things like that. Or was he mm-hmm. stabbed? I can't remember. I don't remember. But it's yeah, like it's been a minute. I rewatched the first movie like a few months ago. Which I found interesting because I feel like the thing they definitely got the most right, like watching it now, was like how the whole World Economic Forum would like come together, you yeah. know, when things got crazy. So it felt it felt true in that sense for sure. Like just how global governance works. That's the part of the, mm. of those books I find the most interesting. Can we compare these with the plagues on Egypt? Because yeah, I'm do we want to pull up the plagues on Egypt? Just, yeah, I just want to. I just want to see just to reference it. Just as the moon turning red always stuck out to her. Yeah. Mm. That also seems to be a thing that I read about in a lot of different like uh, mythologies and, and ancient stories and stuff like that is the idea of a blood moon. Wait, where did the moon turn red? Wasn't, wasn't that the, th- the fourth horseman of the apocalypse? Yeah, yeah. I think so. Mm. Or was it the... Sixth seal. Sixth seal, that's what I was going to say. The sun became black, and the full moon became like blood. Right. The sun turned black like sackcloth made of goat hair, and the whole moon turned blood red, and the stars in the sky fell to earth as... Figs dropped from a fig tree and they were shaken by a strong wind. Yeah, that's the sixth mm. seal. 
Okay. The sun and moon and stars. I wonder if that's star stars or planet stars. Do you have any notes in your Bible about about so, the I'm stars sorry, in Revelation in the six? Yeah, hold on. Uh, Revelation six thirteen. Sorry, everybody. <clears throat> no, it's all good. It says stars fell. Uh, one of the signs immediately preceding the coming of man, uh, which at this. Yeah, that's all it really says, just that it's okay. one of the signs preceding the coming of the Son of Man, according to Mark 13, 15, er, 13, 25, and 26. So, Matthew, Mark. Now I'm curious. Sorry, real quick. Uh, sometimes I forget how short Mark actually is. I've got so many notes in here. Uh, 13, 25, and 26, it says, the stars, <clears throat> the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky and the heaven, heavenly bodies will be shaken. At mm-hmm. that time, people will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds and great power and glory, and he will send his angels to gather his elect and the four winds from the ends of the earth <clears throat> to the ends of the heavens. That's that seems See, that's to line up also with the exactly right. Yeah. It lines up with the timing of Revelation six, like the sixth seal is broken, and that is what. See, this is again like I know some people get mad at me, but it just seems like we keep seeing the same thing over and over. Where it doesn't seem like hey, it's exactly at the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Like this is why I tend towards like a, a mid tribulation type thing. Like it doesn't have to be like directly in the middle, but yeah, it does like always 25%. seem. Yeah. Right, it always seems like the coming of the Son of Man, the coming of Christ, is talked about in so many verses directly preceding him gathering the elect. Is what? Oh it shoot, says. it's it's thirty three percent. Is it really? It's a third. Yeah. <laughs> Which is a number <laughs> that comes up a lot. Yeah. That's an important number. Yeah, for sure. Huh. Uh, of course, huh. as the moon does cartwheels through the sky, only started noticing the last four years. Moon does cartwheels through. I'll have to look into that. Yeah, the the moon. Yeah, the it's a that's a funny way to describe it. But yeah, the moon. Um, it's not like it stays in the same place. It it's it's always right. <laughs> yeah, that's the case with all the planets. But most people don't re- see it or realize it. Mm-hmm. Um. But yeah, I was just going to say, like, it seems like you've got the seals, 144,000, the great multitudes, but it's always right, you know, directly preceding, like, the coming of Son mm. of Man. Was, yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Uh, did you want me to look up the t- 10 plagues of Egypt? Or you want to keep the reading? 10 plagues. Can do that let me just run through them real quick because sure. I think there's just some crossover, but not a lot. So it's just. Um, <clears throat> the Nile turns to blood, or water turns to blood. Frogs, gnats, Turn flies. the frogs gay. Turn the frogs gay. Um, and then the gnats and the flies gay too. And then Egyptian livestock die. Boils, hail, locusts, darkness. And then the firstborn. So just keep that in mind as we're going through these. Right. There's just some similarity. Right. Kelsey says, I wonder the significance of the grass being burned up and only a third of the earth and a third of the trees. Is yeah. it just because the grass is weaker than the trees? Yeah, I think that it, it it's just got a, a much higher or a much lower burn point. So yeah, 
trees can survive a fire like that sometimes, but not grass sometimes. Hmm. Like if there is like a, you know, great increase of heat or like a drought or something like that, the grass would go first. If it was enough to burn up a third of the trees, I feel like the, mm-hmm. it would make sense that all the grass would be gone. So, yeah, I think it's just describing reality. Like, I'm not even sure that's as much of a s- symbolism is just like, this is how bad it, you know, it will be. Right. <laughs> okay. Corey said also the light from the moon is colder than its shadow. Huh. Uh, Jeff says, is, is it burned up because of a cataclysm or burned up intentionally due to the wickedness of man? See, I, I sometimes wonder if like a lot of this will be caused by people. <laughs> like I, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to like put Bill Gates front and center of this whole thing, but like mm-hmm. when I see people that actually think, you know, the climate alarmists actually want to blot out the sun, I'm like, this this just mm. will turn out bad. Like when I read Revelation and I see what people are trying to do to meddle with God's creation and thinking they mm-hmm. can fix it, it seems very Tower of Babel to me. Where it's like we yeah. we are gods, we can mess with DNA, we can change the climate. Like the absolute um uh, narcissism that we can actually control the weather that is the climate movement is so insane to me. Like I saw a story today that in Netherlands, which is there, they produce 0.4% of the CO2 emissions of the world, which is incredibly small. They've got the most sustainable farming anywhere in the world. And yet they want to give Bino essentially to all the cows, to stop them from farting. Cause they think they can actually control the what, like the level of narcissism in people. Tell me you worship Zeus without telling me you worship Zeus. Right. right? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like people actually think they can change the temperature of the sun and and all of these things is, is just insanity to me. But it's, again, it comes from people who actually think they're God. Yeah. Or they worship Mother Gaia as their God. Yeah. It's very druidic. It's all the old gods. It is. Yeah. It is. And I think it's that's just becoming more and more apparent as we go along. Yeah, well, I th- yeah, exactly. I think I I really I really think that people are not going to be atheist in in a few years time. Like no. I, I I think it's comp- I think it's going away so fast that people don't realize that everybody's becoming spiritual. It's just you have to decide if you're serving God or if you're serving like lesser gods that pre- mm-hmm. like like demons that pretend to be gods, fallen angels that pretend to be gods because I'm seeing people in all of these, you know, generally more atheistic walks of life kind of come out and say who they're worshiping in different ways. Like we see the Baphomet crowd, like being very uh, front and center on the abortion thing. They're just telling you, yes, we are sacrificing children to, to demonic gods. Mm-hmm. I've seen the transgender movement start naming their gods. Um, it's, it, it's all becoming spiritual again. I feel like we're kind of going back to like a middle ages mindset and it's happening. It's been happening so gradually, but yet it's happening so fast now that I don't think people have caught up to to what's really going on. But anyway, uh, where do we leave off on the seven trumpets? Um. So, yeah, the first the first trumpet is hail and fire mixed with blood, and these were thrown passive voice on the earth. So I think you're right. That could easily be some sort of warfare some sort of 
hail and fire mixed with blood. <laughs> That's just a lot. Okay. Um, the second angel blew his trumpet and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. Something like a great mountain. <laughs> I'm sorry, what? <laughs> Hold on, wait, which verse do you want? I was trying to get caught back up to where we're at. Eight, something like a great mountain. The second angel blew his trumpet. Something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures of the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. That's interesting. Something like yeah. a great mountain. Because in this time, in this case, it's it's literally telling you that it's not that it is not symbolism. You know what I mean? Instead yeah. of like literally, a great mountain falls into the sea. Something like one. I'm trying to think of like what that would. What if would it's be? Poseidon? <clears throat> Something like a great mountain. I don't know why, but I keep thinking about um, like uh, in Red Rising, they've got that like fake Mount Olympus they build. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. That floats in the sky. Yeah. I don't know. Huh. Yeah, Kelsey's like, so a giant that looks like a mountain. Yeah, right. <laughs> you mean a Nephilim? Yeah. Yeah. Who knows? It's it's big question mark for me. Something like yeah. a great mountain. Um, okay. The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became wormwood, and many people died from that water because it had been made bitter. Wormwood is interesting. I'm trying to remember what I've read about this. So, <clears throat> for one, wormwood, not that this is related, but like wormwood is part of the whole MK Ultra thing. Do you know that? I don't think this is that saying that, but I find it interesting. There's also, isn't there, didn't we find a star that's been named wormwood? Or a comet or something like that. Um, they named a comet Wormwood. Like they're just telling us like which one it is. It's going to crash into and destroy a third of the waters. Sir Edward says underwater volcano. Oh, that's an interesting thought. Okay, this is this is interesting. There is an asteroid named Apophis, mm -hmm. which is the giant snake that eats the sun, right? In Egypt mythology, um, that some believe it is wormwood. Um, That's what it was that I was thinking of. I I don't know why they think. It's but because Apophis means the destroyer. Well, I was going to say, does that related to Apollo the destroyer? It sounds similar enough. It is, but it's also like Apophis in, in Egypt mythology was kind of running counter to the mm -hmm. Apollo, the Horus um, in Egypt mythology, like trying to eat the sun. So... I've wondered if it was it's just a personification of the curse, a personification of chaos. I think it might this might be a stretch that this is definitely wormwood. 
there's a there's a huge fear that these asteroids are the the ones that pass nearby Earth are eventually going to hit Earth. Right. And sometimes I wonder if like are they afraid of it because it's going to happen or are they afraid of it and it's not going to happen. <laughs> that, yeah, yeah. That it's the, like is it a red herring? Like an like an alarmist type thing. See, because that's how I see things a lot of times is I see like this idea of the climate alarmism. I think that's actually what's going to cause the, the climate problems that we read about in Revelation yeah. more so like also, you know, just the weather manipulation they're doing like harp and all these things that we know are like I go back and forth sometimes when like I, I can't stand the climate alarmism, but I also think that they might have a point in that we're doing it to ourselves. Like, yeah. I don't think I don't think that, you know, switching to. Uh, lithium batteries is better for the environment. Actually, all signs point to it not being like, right. even if you go by their science, same with windmills, windmills are actually worse for the environment than mm-hmm. a coal power plant even is. Um, but I think that we could actually be causing all of the stuff. Like as we're say, we're trying to fix it. Mm-hmm. It just reminds me of Babel again, like just trying to be trying to be gods, trying to solve yeah. the things that are outside of our control. Well, it's definitely interesting that we, we just put in place Space Force. Like Donald Trump just put in Space right. Force. It, it had been something that he wasn't the person who came up with the concept of it. He's just the one who pulled the trigger on it. Mm-hmm. What if this one, the first one, the hail and fire mixed with blood, that Space Force blowing up an asteroid, and then all those little pieces fall to Earth? They've talked about it a lot recently about, uh, about asteroids that are coming close to Earth that they're going to try to shoot out of the sky and stuff. Yeah. And then, so what if, what if they fail spectacularly there? Like they stop an asteroid, but it's catastrophic. So the next one, they don't shoot it and it's wormwood. Right. That's a good point. I don't know. Uh, Jess also says that wormwood is a, is an herb that causes seizures, which I I knew something about that. I, okay. Wormwood is associated with. But like if it was like if an asteroid came in that was carrying something like that and got into the water and like tainted all the water supply. The wormwood plant is named after Artemis. Mm-hmm. Um, the Greek goddess Artemis. But I th- but Artemis is associated with the moon and I think this verse would just say the moon fell if that's what that was. Right. So. Gotcha. Yeah, I mean it names the moon plenty of times. It says it turns red and things like that. So but I don't here's think it's another the same thing. Here's another question. It says a great star fell. What if this is an angel that has been good this entire time who falls? That's an interesting thought because the Bible calls angels stars a lot. Mm-hmm. It it literally says that you know a third of the stars fell, and it's talking about th- you know the fallen angels, a third of the heavenly hosts. So. I find that interesting, that symbolism there of like, sometimes sometimes when we're reading stars, we read it as angels. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And wormwood means bitter, just like an angel that's gone bitter over mm-hmm. the course of... Hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Uh, which trumpet was that? Okay, that was... That was um, fourth, right? That was third. Third? Okay. Okay. So the fourth angel blew his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, and a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of their light might be darkened, and a third of the day 
might be kept from shining and likewise a third of the night. Then I looked and I heard an eagle crying with a loud voice as it flew directly overhead. Woe, woe, woe to those who dwell on the earth at the blasts of the other trumpets that the three angels are about to blow. So I guess my one question about this is that the sun's already blackened and now it's being struck. So was it still fully shining? It was just dark before? Like like if Bill Gates put a bunch of shit in the air that like blocked out the sun's light. And now the actual sun is being struck? Yeah. Hmm. Could be. The passive voice is so interesting to me. Like mm-hmm. it's saying this is going to happen, but it's like it's going to be struck by what? What's it being struck by? Right. <laughs> what's, what's happening? It's very like vague. Here's an interesting thing. It says a third of the sun was struck in the ninth plague on Egypt. Thick darkness covered the land for three days. Yeah. So is this a reference to Egyptian plague or it says this reference to Egyptian plague suggests that in Revelation, we have the final exodus of God's people from the bondage of a world controlled by hostile powers. Corey, I see all your commentary about the moon. I'll have to look into some of that. I definitely think that I put a lot of stock in like which planets and things are associated with which gods and goddesses in these pantheons. So I'm more likely to chalk up weird things about the moon to its spiritual connections. But definitely interesting things. Yeah. All right. So oh, yeah. we've got a uh, four trumpets and then another pause like, hey, if you think right. that was bad, <laughs> wait for those next three. Yeah. And the fifth angel blew his trumpet and I saw a star fallen from heaven to earth. So this is an already fallen star. And he was given the key to the shaft of the bottomless pit. He opened see the right there, but you're going right. See, it's even right in here. Like just after you said the star could represent an angel here. It literally is the star yeah. was given the keys to the shafts of the abyss. It's not. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sorry. Go ahead. He opened the shaft of the bottomless pit and from the shaft rose smoke like the smoke of a great furnace and the sun and the air were darkened with the smoke from the shaft. Then from the smoke came locusts on the earth and they were given power like the power of scorpions on the earth. This is another one that doubles the uh, Egypt. Right. Yeah, the plague of locusts. Um, they were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree. So I guess it's regrown. Some mm-hmm. grass at least is regrown after the burning, which would make sense. Grass grows pretty fast, especially yeah. after a fire. But only... Let's see. They were told not to harm the grass of the earth or any green plant or any tree, but only those people who do not have the seal of God on their foreheads. So, here's a question. In Revelation 7, it says that 144,000 of Israel, specifically, just a specific of Israel, were sealed. Right. And then this great multitude arrives in heaven. Mm-hmm. And then it's referencing still on earth these sealed people again. Right. 
So have we always been wrong in that 144,000 Jewish people are sealed and then the rapture happens, but those people stay on earth? That's what it sounds like to me. Because it talks the about them to, it talks about them differently. If we go back to chapter six, right? Mm-hmm. It's uh, or seven. Chapter seven, 144,000 are sealed, and it talks about the tribes they come from, and it leaves out the tribe of Dan. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it says a great multitude in white robes. Uh, mm-hmm. Right. The saints and things like that. So it's interesting that if you think about it, like the church being raptured, if that's what's being right. talked about in seven, like these 144,000 were not part of the church. Mm. They were sealed and they were like brought into the fold, brought back into the fold, mm-hmm. except for the tribe of Dan um, <laughs> for the end time. So I, I, I wonder if that's exactly what it's talking about. So I'm wondering if, if these are people that their heart is with God, mm-hmm. they're like devout Jews. Right. But they're not, you know, they didn't believe in Jesus. They weren't, they weren't there. They didn't right. get it. Right. And so this is like a second chance to be alive during, during the end. It, it does. Yeah. That is an interesting thought. That's insane. That would be insane. Yeah. yeah. Also right here, we're, you know, talking about the referencing of uh, Egypt. Um, where were we at again? The locusts. Uh, hold on. The ceiling, though, it's 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 mm-hmm. a reference again back to like putting the the lamb's blood over the mm. door. Yeah. So it does seem like there's a lot of similarities there. Um, there really is. I want to see. I had a note on it. Uh, people who do not have the seal of God. Apparently, it is only the first woe that does not affect the servants of God. Uh, just like the Israelites were protected from the Egyptian plague in Exodus. Mm. It's fascinating stuff. Right. So they open the bottomless pit, which we have in our CERN episode suggested could be underneath CERN. Right. <laughs> so all these scorpions are let out to sting and their torment was like the torment of a scorpion when it stings someone. And in those days, people will seek death and will not find it. They will long to die, but death will flee from them. So they're demons. They're being compared to scorpions and they can torment for five months. You know, what's crazy about this. There's something else that keeps coming up in my research lately. There's a guy uh, with the talk of AI going on right now, right? There's a guy who's been proposing the AI is the way of the future. And actually a lot of this stuff, dude, I'm telling you, it was so weird when I read rainbow six, cause I was a fan of the video games and I decided to read Tom Clancy's book and in rainbow six, it's about, these druidic people, these like, you know, these modern day druids who worship Mother Gaia and they're in control of the government. And their whole thing is we're going to create a virus that's going to wipe out people and it's going to, we're going to have a, a vaccine ready for when that virus starts killing people and the vaccine will kill more people so we can bring the earth down to that Georgia Guidestone number. Like it's all in Rainbow Six. It's crazy stuff, right? Wow. But you know what the second part of it is? That at that they're that, that they're this close to being able to gene alter people into immortality, and there's this guy who you know has been telling us all the stuff that's going to happen with AI since the 90s. I can't remember his name off the top of my head. I was listening to Glenn Beck talk about him earlier this morning, and he said 
that by 2045, we'll have figured out the keys to immortality to basically keep people uh, perpetually alive no matter what. And I'm just thinking to myself, like, what if we unlocked that and it was like, yeah, now you're going to want to die and you can't because the pain and and all the things and the suffering is so bad. So like, I know sometimes as Christians, we look at this and we go like, there's no way people like actually figure out how to keep their bodies alive forever. But what if they did? And this is their punishment. Like, it seems like when you go against God's will for, for life and for things, uh, the punishments are really bad. You know, Genesis six, when the, when the, the angels slept with humans, they were locked up in, uh, you know, Peter says they were locked up in, um, well, I can't think of it. The Greek word Tartarus, right. And the punishment was so bad. They never wanted to do it again. Um, you know, Babylon was, uh, you know, or sorry, but the, the tower of Babel, another punishment that was so bad that people didn't want to like recreate it. Except every time they do, it seems like this huge breaking apart of things. Um, I don't know. It's just interesting. That's a good point. I just find it. I just find it interesting. Like if you have a book from 1998 and like every other part of it came true and then that part is in there and you're hearing people that have been talking about since the nineties, that'll come true. And they're predicting everything else leading up to it pretty accurately. It makes me wonder, it makes me take some like stock in it, you know, in, in Genesis after Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, after they eat from the tree, God says that it says that he, he puts an angel with a double-edged sword Mm -hmm. um, to guard the way to the tree of life so that they couldn't go and get it and live forever. But it never ever says the tree is destroyed. And there's an assumption that it must have been destroyed in the flood, but like it, it could still exist. Could exist deep underground. And there's all of these (laughs) ground opening up could it also makes me wonder. You said you said you said an angel, a star fell. Yeah. What if it's the star that's block the angel oh that's my. blocking the Garden of Eden? Oh my goodness! You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it becomes bitter after blocking off the tree of life for ten thousand years, and then oh my goodness, actually allows people to become immortal, and then God like punishes them for it. I'm just like speculating. Holy but it's crap! Interesting thought. I think you're right. I think you're right. Holy crap. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Because it says, okay, let's go back to that one. A thir- The third angel blew his trumpet and a great star, a great star fell from heaven, blazing like a torch. And it fell on a third of the rivers in the, on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. <laughs> Fascinating. Jess over here, I just want to read her comment really quick. She says, I hesitate to say, but I think they're on the path to figuring out immortality, quote unquote. And y'all covered it on your previous episode, but how much would God punish mankind for seeking immortality that way? Yeah, exactly. Because you're seeking immortality outside of God's will. God has a perfect will for his reestablished kingdom being brought down to Mm -hmm. earth that we'll see later in Revelation. And, you know, Jesus offers us immortality to sort of seek it out a different way. It's Mm -hmm. very Tower of Babel, right? Right. It's seeking to make ourselves gods. And while there's a lot of Genesis that I am unwilling to say is early Genesis, unwilling to say is metaphorical, the part about the tree could be like it very well could be that right. for the simple fact of not wanting us to know how to duplicate it, he would want to use a metaphor instead of saying like, I don't have, I, have I tend to when think the tree say, is metaphorical, but that's just, yeah. I don't think all of Genesis is, but I think that part is. 
Right. I think that it's a problem when people are like, I don't like what's written here. I'm unwilling to accept it. Therefore, I'm going to say it's metaphorical, but that's not what we're doing. I think this is a genuine, like, I don't mind if it's a tree, but I kind of think it's talking about something else. I got to say, I was made a fool this week because I've struggled with the idea. Um, You know, this is, this is one of those things where it's like, it's, there's a temptation to take science at its word and to believe that we have to make the Bible match science. And then we're shown time and time again, actually science just hasn't caught up to the Bible. This keeps happening to Christians all the time. And it happened to me this week where I was like, man, I don't know. Like, was it a general flood? Was it like a localized flood? It couldn't be a worldwide flood Mm because there's not enough water. And then I don't know if you guys saw my TikTok, if you saw Joe Rogan talking about this, but apparently in 2014 they found, and it's just been not talked about for nine years, but they found that the, inside the earth, there's this thing called the ring woodite layer and it holds three times the amount of water of all of the earth's water on the surface combined. So all the lakes, all the oceans and rivers, it's three times that amount buried deep in the earth and that they basically like fissures could come up and like literally flood the entire, it's like we now Mm -hmm. know it is entirely possible Mm. for the entire earth to be flooded to the tips of the mountaintops, just like it says in Genesis and I, for a long time, was like, man, maybe it was like a localized flood and the world is just like, you know, our world, like what we can see. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I struggle with like, why are they finding sh- shells on mountaintops? Why does every part of the world have a flood myth? And, you know, it's one of those things where it's like God tells us, like, have faith. Like, you don't have to understand it. And then we do understand it. We feel kind of silly for not having that faith. You know what I mean? <laughs> so I, I, I agree with you where it's like there's times where I want to take parts of Genesis and be like, well, it has to be metaphorical it doesn't have to be right i think we're shown that but it a could lot. be it could, could be. be i do think that the beginning of genesis is a bit more metaphorical just for the fact that it's written in a poetic style right. and i think that you know like we've we've associated it being an apple and that's entirely made up it never says apple right in the bible but that is a symbol you know that's again from milton i think but probably before that people just like well you know an apple it's a fruit it's from a tree We'll just use that to to say it's this, but I'm not sure that that's true. Mm. But yeah, anyway, sorry, go ahead. Let's see, where were we? In appearance, the locusts were like horses prepared for battle. <gasps> what? 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 We talked about Joel chapter two the other week. That is how that army is described. Yeah. As locusts who are men that look like horses. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. I just, I've never, I've totally didn't make that connection before. Worth noting that Hebrew in particular, but also Greek, especially Greek that's referencing back to Hebrew, often takes something and uses it as, as like if I compared something to a locust, you'd think I was talking about, oh, it's small and it looks like a locust. But the way that their language worked, it was like, I'm talking about the defining characteristic of this thing. It's it's a it's a ravaging thing. It's a thing that goes and it it strips everything bare and it eats everything. So it doesn't it's not saying this locust looks like a horse. This horse looks like a locust. It's like this is a ravaging thing that I'm comparing to a locust, but it looks like a horse. Right. I want to I want to uh, sorry, Kelsey asked a question I want to cover really quick. She says, "Doesn't Genesis say that the waters came from above and below?" I believe yes. it does. Can we yes. can we find that because Go ahead. Yeah. Um, The fountains of the great deep broke open and the, I can pull it up. 
But yeah, but that's a thing that most people ignore. They just focus on the rain. And that's yeah. another uh, evidence that people try to use. Well, it couldn't possibly rain that much. It doesn't make any sense. But it doesn't actually say it all came from the sky. It doesn't say that, no. It, I'm getting there. <laughs> the fountains of the yes. deep broke open, things like that, right? So um, uh, I know creation scientists for at least 20 years have proposed the idea that the flood and all of the, let's put it this way, like the same evidence for like gradual mountain shifts and things like that it's actually, when you really look into it, less less plausible than massive floods wiping away the Grand Canyon and things like that. There's actually better evidence for that in the right. in the layers and things like that. And it's just something scientists have ignored. So just like how stalagmites supposedly form over millions of years, now we have proof that stalagmites can form over tens of years if there's enough rushing water going through mm -hmm. an area. So I think a lot of the evidence that we look at as billions of years old can be mm -hmm. completely discounted um, with a worldwide flood and that's why they're so scared of that narrative coming true yeah. and it seems like people like Graham Hancock are proving it um, mm -hmm. interesting stuff here's the verse um, in the 600 in the 600th year of Noah's life in the second month on the 17th day of the month on that day all the fountains of the great deep burst forth and the windows of the heavens were opened and rain fell upon the earth 40 days and 40 nights. So the other thing that's suggested is we have this dual thing happening. You have water coming up from the groundwater um, in like volcanic type eruptions is the idea. And then that there was a firmament, firmament um, in the creation story, it kind of talks about God separating the water from the water and putting mm -hmm. sky in between. It's what it sounds like. And some people are like, well, that's just talking about clouds. But other people have suggested that there was genuinely a layer of water above the sky. There's, Yeah. And I actually think that that's probably true yeah. for this other reason too, is um, they, there's been these studies that show like, basically if you had water between mm -hmm. us and the sun, people mm -hmm. would live 800 Live 900 longer. years yeah so if the firmament like the the water sky water fell and the water from the ground came up and things like that it would actually explain a lot of things and i have long wondered if god did this <clears throat> or if god was like this is going to happen but humans did it if if the humans right. that were on the earth in that time did something we know they were far more advanced than we think they were. It's being discovered right. all the time. I mean, you think of like, we we think the worst thing that we could do to our world that we know about is nuclear holocaust. Mm -hmm. But like something like that, that they did. Right. I mean, they were so violent. It looks It looks like they were at the absolute breaking point as far as what would happen if they had a nuclear holocaust under their conditions and then. Right. Well, and also, like, if you take into uh, account what it talks about in Enoch, where it says these fallen angels came down and taught these humans all these things, it seems to yeah. line up with all the ancient stories of the Egyptians having these giant people come down and teach them farming and teach them uh, witchcraft and teach them astrology. Mm -hmm. Astrology is everywhere in the ancient world, and that is specifically talked about as being taught to people by angels in, in Enoch. Also, I just want to say, Yurok, I see um, you commenting about Tart Tartaria. Um, this is something we've been talking about personally that we want to dive into. So I don't have a lot of comments on it yet just because I haven't done a deep dive on it enough to mm -hmm. really uh, talk about it. But um, yeah, it's it's something coming up is my point. So, yeah. so pay attention for that or wait I, for that. I, I don't want to give my gut on it having not dug super far in. 
is that it is an incorrect way of talking about something else that is true. And I think what is true is that we had ancient cultures who truly knew a ton of stuff. I, I that, get your name now. It's Corey spelled backwards. Okay. I call you Corey now. <laughs> uh, Corey James. Samaj. Yeah. Got it. Yeah. Okay. I I had a, a friend in uh, high school named Samaj. Uh, okay. Female. Because um, okay. her dad was James. <laughs> it was funny. She was black. So mm. that's that's how that worked out. Uh, that, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, where Yeah. Lots of weird things to think about, right? That, yeah, I, Corey James, Corey James, Samaj, the st- the state capitol buildings, that, but there's this loss of technology. I think that is really difficult to accept. That, mm-hmm. but we've seen it over and over again in history. You see the Great Pyramid, and then you see later Egypt. We're um, seeing it now. Yeah, later Egypt forgot how to make their pyramids. Yeah. You, their older pyramids were better and then they forgot how to make them. And I think we are seeing it in real time. We're looking at our state capitals. We're looking at all of these old buildings and saying, we don't know how to make those. And we're trying to explain it in any other way than just admitting that as a, as it, we're regressing as a society and right. we're forgetting things. Um, I, I understand where Tartaria is coming from. I just think it's a way of talking about something that's true, but the conclusion is false. But we can talk about it more. Yeah, we'll definitely dive into it deeper in the yeah, future. It's, it's really interesting. And I think some of the points that are made with Tartaria have to do with Tesla technology. And that is really interesting too. So, Where uh, do we leave off? Stop asking me that gun. Trying to like go on bunny trails forever. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> um, the three. Mm, oh, the, death will flee from them. Well, and we were then, talking about the locusts being like horses. Okay, yeah. Locusts were like horses prepared for battle. On their heads were what looked like crowns of gold. Their faces were like human faces. Their hair like women's hair. And their teeth like lion's teeth. They had breastplates like breastplates of iron. And the noise of their wings was like the noise of many chariots with horses rushing into battle. Which sounds like a helicopter to me, honestly. I... Yeah, I don't know. I'm just I'm reading this and thinking back to Joel chapter two and like how some people have taken that as like this is the Lord's army, but it doesn't seem to be. And then Mm -hmm. Revelation seems to talk about the same thing. Um, Like, is it chimeras? Is it like literal? Is it metaphorical? Mm. It's interesting. It it is. It sounds like chimeras. That's what I'm going to (laughs) say. But yeah, I don't know. They have tails and stings like scorpions and their power to hurt people for five months is in their tails. They have as king over them, the angel of the bottomless pit. His name in Hebrew is Abaddon and in Greek, he is called Apollyon. Again, can I just point out that the Bible itself tells us that the Greeks are talking about real beings? Yes. Multiple times. Yes. Hades. Apollo. It's something people have always wanted to cover up. Like the Greeks just made up these stories and they're worshiping nothing. And it's like, that is not the biblical view of this. The Greeks are worshiping real beings. They're just fallen angels and demons. And it's not, I wish I would have been taught that at a younger age, but I feel like it's an uncomfortable thing for people to realize that all of the old religions were worshiping beings. You know, I think that's how I think we look back to Elijah And we read it as in, oh, those guys made up their God. That's why he didn't send the fire down instead of the, our God is more powerful than the fallen angel that they're serving. Right. 
I think that's a better and more powerful and more accurate message, but it's more comfortable to not have to deal with that. Yeah, yeah. it's been conveniently hidden for a long time that, that these beings are real. We, we as Christians have complained a lot about the enlightenment and how it it led people away from the spiritual and understanding the spiritual. But I think that that was a double-edged sword. It led people away from believing in God, but it led pe- people away from naming and worshiping demons as well. And so everything just kind of went to sleep for a while. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I think that's why some people actually look back at the Middle Ages and go, you know, at least we were spiritual. Then. Right. <laughs> at least at least people like did paintings of like, you know, God and the angels and understood that this was not just metaphor. Um, it's interesting that for a long time, it seems like the, the only way the demons could defeat the kingdom of God, which was reigning pretty strongly was to erase themselves too. like, well, isn't that where the idea, like the greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world. He didn't exist. Not just not convince the world that God didn't exist, but yeah, that he did too. And that was recent. Like, yeah, we had thousands of years of history where these gods were all out in the open demanding to be worshiped in the most mm-hmm. gruesome ways. And then they were like, no, we don't exist. And right. and they did that because the church was so strong. Right. I'm convinced. So, yeah. Okay. The first woe has passed. Behold, two woes are still to come. Then the sixth angel blew his trumpet. And I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar before God saying, which that, description matches the exact altar that was described and prescribed to be built in Solomon's temple. Yes. So it seems like they were told to build a matching altar. Like God gave them instructions right, to build something that matched what was in heaven, which is fascinating to me. Saying to the sixth angel who had the trumpet, release the four angels who are bound at the great river Euphrates. So the four angels who had been prepared for the hour, the day, the month, and the year were released to kill a third of mankind. The number of mounted troops was twice 10,000 times 10,000. I heard their number. And this is how I saw the horses in my vision and those who rode them. They wore breastplates the color of fire and of sapphire and of sulfur. And the heads of the horses were like lion's heads and fire and smoke and sulfur came out of their mouths. By these three plagues, a third of mankind was killed by the third. I'm sorry, by the fire and smoke and sulfur coming out of their mouths. For the power of the horse horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents with heads and by means of them they wound. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, nor give up worshiping demons and idols of gold and silver and bronze and stone and wood, which cannot see or hear or walk, nor did they repent of their murders or their sorceries or their sexual immorality or their thefts. So this is the point of no return, where if you right. haven't if you haven't changed your mind by this point, it's not happening. Right. Yeah, it's crazy to read in Revelation that people like we look around and we see people that you just you can't understand how they don't get certain things. And then you read this is like even even when you pour plagues and fire from the sky and like all these things, people are still not going to get it. Uh, it's it's Pharaoh in Egypt uh, repeated. Their, their hearts are that hardened. I've heard it said that a fire can do two things. It can either soften something up or it can make it hard like a brick. And that is the way, like, that's the kind of stuff that we're made out of. So some people are going to, uh, you know, 
see God's wrath and let the, let it soften them up. And some people are going to see it and they're going to become harder and harder against God. So also real truth cactus. Jess, thank you for the $5 rumble rant. Thank you for talking about this topic. Most Christians are too scared to touch your true warriors. Thank you, Jess. And thank you guys for being here and being a part of this conversation. So, yeah. Um, Rock Samaj, you said you referenced a channel. Um, could you link that for me? I'll go follow it and and I'll look into because I'm really interested in the stuff that you're talking about. So right, I would I would appreciate that. Yeah, again, if you guys ever have links um, or videos or things you want us to see, uh, you guys can email them to us at conspiracypilled at gmail.com or you can reach out to Abby or myself on Twitter or anywhere. All of our links are at conspiracypilled.com so you can find that and just reach out to us. We'll We'll get back to you guys because um, we've done that before. I know uh, one of our uh, one of our followers, Ryan, sent me this really interesting thread, and it ended up becoming an episode a few weeks ago. And I shouted him out for it. So appreciate you guys for sending yeah. this stuff. Um, I, I'm I am seeing the Tartaria stuff around a lot. You're not wrong. It is cropping up everywhere. It's and I think it's because it's got at least some truth to it. I'm not discounting it completely. It's definitely got some power. Some kick in it. Well, this so. is why we originally looked into Enoch at all because it just was everywhere. It's like people just kept sending us stuff and we kept seeing it. It's like we have to know what this is. So I feel like Tartari is the next one of those things where it's like, yeah, I got to know what it is people are talking about. I might do it next. We'll see. We'll see. Okay. We'll see. Um, we'll definitely do it soon. I will take as much time as I need to to like give it a fair research. I'll I'll, I'll say that right. I won't I won't rush to cover it. Uh. Okay, so we're talking about the four angels being released from under the Euphrates, which we know the Euphrates is drying up. We know. Yeah, copy and paste our channel. That works for me. Yep. Um, okay. Are we ready to get into chapter 10? One moment. I want to read this one last comment, then we will. Uh, Real truth, Cactus, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. Do you think God hardens the hearts of some of these people? I always wonder why. I, well, that's the explanation I was trying to give a second ago. Is like, I feel like God, let me put it this way. Pharaoh experienced the same thing that everybody else experienced and his heart was hard and where others were softened. And I think that that, I think that the action of God is the same and our response to it is what causes the hardness. So when it says God hardened his heart, some people look at that and it's like, well, how could God intentionally make someone unable to accept him? And I think it's just, I think it's just the way that we deal with life. You know what I mean? Like, we have the we have the ability. I'm not a Calvinist, so um, I think we have the ability to let it change us in one way or another. Um, but the action from God is the same. I think possibly because I'm not a Calvinist either. But some of those verses are difficult to explain away. Right. In in that it seems very clearly like God did this. God hardened it, and you could say, well, He sent the plagues, and the plagues hardened His heart because that was what his reaction was going to be. Or you could say God doesn't want people to come to him begrudgingly. Right. People does, he doesn't want people to come to him just to make the plague stop. Right. He wants people to come to him for the right reasons. And so rather than allow him to kind of in, in bad faith get on his knees to make it stop, God gave him the strength to rebel in the way that he wanted to because he wanted to. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Yeah. I think ultimately at the end of the day, that's uh, above my pay grade. What <laughs> is the way I look at certain parts of the Bible. I'm like, I'm, you know, that's God's decision and not mine, I guess. 
Uh, yeah, let's get into chapter 10. Okay. This this part has always been weird. I'm excited to hear what you have to say about it because okay. I've never understood it. Then I saw another mighty angel coming down from heaven, wrapped in a cloud with a rainbow over his head, and his face was like the sun and his legs like pillars of fire. He had a little scroll open in his hand, and he set his right foot on the sea and his left foot on the land, and he called out with a loud voice like a lion roaring. When he called out, the seven thunders sounded. And when the seven thunders had sounded, I was about to write. But I heard a voice from heaven saying, Seal up what the seven thunders have said, and do not write it down. No, tell us! <laughs> I know, it's like, come on, I want to know. I, I love how he, he's like, you guys, I wanted to. I wanted to tell you when they wouldn't let me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John, he's like one of those people, it's like, I have a secret, you're not going to believe it. Okay, what is it? I can't tell you. It's like that's worse. Why'd you tell me that you know yeah. things? What a yeah. what a what a jerk. <laughs> I, I can't swear on a Bible stream. <laughs> no, I can't. Fuck you, John. <laughs> it's my stream. I make the rules. Okay, I'm sorry. And the angel whom I saw standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven and swore by him who lives forever and ever who created heaven and what is in it the earth and what is in it and the sea and what is in it that there would be no more delay but that in the days of the trumpet call to be sounded by the seventh angel the mystery of god would be fulfilled just as he announced to his servants the prophets then the voice that i had heard from heaven spoke to me again saying go take the scroll that is open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land so i went to the angel and told him to give me the little scroll and he said to me take it and eat it it will make your stomach bitter but in your mouth it will be sweet as honey and i took the little scroll from the hand of the angel and ate it it was as sweet as honey in my mouth but when i had eaten it my stomach was made bitter and I was told you must again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. There's a lot to unpack there. I want to get into it in a second. We have one comment over here from nobody here on Rumble that I wanted to read. It says Pharaoh initially hardened his heart numerous times. Then it says God hardened his heart. I read this to mean God will affirm the choice we choose to make both good and bad. Yeah, that was another point I forgot to bring up is yeah. it, God doesn't harden Pharaoh's heart till after Pharaoh does it. I think it's seven times each. Uh, it's okay. Pharaoh hardened his heart seven times, and then it says God hardened his heart seven times, or maybe it's ten. Um, but either way, I think that that's an interesting point. It's like Pharaoh made this choice, and God's like, "All right, you know, live with your consequences." I guess mm. it's, it's interesting that it's in that order, and it's repeated. Um, I think it's seven. I'd have to look it up again. Right, because God's not in the business of forcing you to go back on a decision you made. I think there came a point where he's like, okay, you you made a decision, and now no matter what I do, you're not going to get to go back on your decision. Th this is a, a controversial thing I've been saying for years, but I think this is true, and I think it's biblical in this sense, where it's like, there are there's times where, as Christians, we are called to, you know, obviously try to change people and bring them into the fold and stuff like that. And there's other times where I think people are meant to be made an example of, and mm -hmm. some people get mad at, at at Christians for this to be like, well, you're being too harsh to this person or that person. It's like by making an example of this person who's already made the decision, who's like beyond my capability of of changing right. their mind, I might change someone else's mind. I think this is where ridicule comes into effect. I think this is why you ridicule people like Rachel Levine, Richard Levine, why you ridicule people like Dylan Mulvaney because they're so far gone mm -hmm. that maybe it'll it'll help 
and wake someone else up and change someone else's mind. So I think once yeah. a person is hardened in their heart to a certain extent, it's like, I don't know. Like I see the, the, the way that Jesus treated the Pharaohs. I see the way that, uh, you know, Jesus treated the, the money changers in the temple because those people weren't going to be changed. Pharaoh wasn't going to be changed. Pharaoh wasn't going to be saved, but other people would by that harshness. And mm. I think that's a, I think it's a distinction that comes with, um, uh, a certain level of uh, uh, what's the word I'm looking for discernment. So I don't know. It's, it's something that I think there's a line between like when you, when you try to change someone and when you make an example of them that I think has uh, been shown throughout all of the Bible in a lot of different cases. So it's just an interesting thought. I don't know. Does that sound too harsh? Like some people get no, mad, no, but like, I, I think we all I, do it. I think you and me do it, especially like on Twitter and stuff like that. Some mm -hmm. people it's like, all right, this person needs to be made an example of like their stupid ideas need to be made an example of. And I think um, like Steven Crowder talked about this with change my mind. He's like some people you're going to sit down, you're going to have that conversation. And then at some point in some of these conversations, you realize, oh, this person needs to be made an example of in front of an audience. So right. that way they can have a chance. And it's, it's always, somebody who has already made themselves an example of evil, somebody who's already yes. held themselves up as a spokesperson for evil. Um, they're, yeah. They're, and that's the distinction too, right? Enough. They're a spokesperson for evil, right? Yeah. We cannot be mean enough to Dylan Mulvaney. He has made himself. He's, he's made himself a spokesperson for, for mutilating and killing children. Right. Right. That's a person you make an example of, not a person you go, right. oh, well, I'm sorry, and let me you know, try to rationalize with you. You're, you're done rationalizing with people like that. That's a person right. who's actively encouraging the mutilation of children, and mm -hmm. they've made themselves a face for it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The, you cannot be too mean to those people. Um, right. We don't have to worry about that. God does not ever, ever <laughs> in the Bible say, be careful you're not too mean to them. Right. It's It's like... Because God makes examples of people, too, of whole nations who have turned against him. I think what we need to be careful of is when we damn someone, when we act like someone who's made their final decision when they haven't, when we're awful to those people, right? then we can really drive people away um, who, right. who God wants. So, But I think it's if, if you are operating in good faith, it, it's really obvious the difference. Well, it's also between, the difference between punching up and punching down too, right? Like, right. You don't want to, there, there's a lot of, a lot of deceived people out there that can be reached. And then there's right. the deceivers. Yeah. You know what I mean? Right. And I think that's a difference too. It also says, you know, talks about like people who would do this harm to children being, it'd be better than having a millstone tied around their neck. I think that's talking about the false. I mean, there's plenty of, plenty of verses about the false teachers and about people who are leading other people astray. And I think those people have a different uh, response necessary than a regular everyday deceived mm -hmm. human being. So got your six. I tried to look up this verse from apocalypse and Google would only give me verses from revelation. Do you have any recommendations on how to, cause apocalypse is a one of the apocryphal books, right? I believe so. Yeah. Yeah, I'm I'm surprised I can't get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, while you're looking for that or while um if you can find us a link and send it, I want to oh, I got your six. I want to delve into what this is talking about uh in 10. I want to see if there's any um kind of context clues in the notes here to see if it helps. So, uh let me see. 
Oh, I guess it's, I'm sorry. It's another name for revelation, isn't it? Is it? So revelation 22, 18 through nine, 19. Yeah. Eight, or 18 through 19. Yeah. 18 through nine going backwards, reading it in reverse. Uh, 22, 18. Okay. So it's the very end. It says, I warn everyone who hears the words of the prophecy of this scroll. If anyone adds anything to them, God will add to that person, the plague described in this scroll. And if anyone takes words away from the scroll of prophecy, God will take away from that person, any share in the tree of life and in the Holy city, which are now described in this scroll. He who mm. testifies on these things says, yes, I am coming. Amen. Come Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. Amen. Mm. That's a powerful message because one of my hardest times with people that do revel that t- talk about revelation is they get so hung up on one idea that they have to necessarily cut things. Mm. And I think that's kind of what it's talking about. So I'm always very wary of, uh, and again, that's why I want to get these things right and want to understand it in its fullness. Um, because I know, I know there's some people who will just really let's take this one verse and only talk about this verse. And I feel like that is, uh, taking away, right? Yeah. And I think that it's, it's so harsh because it's so important. This book is going to be so important for people, especially as we approach these times to understand what's going on, that it's just such a big deal that anyone would teach falsely about it. And so passionately falsely about it too. Yeah. yeah. And I think that there's going to be a difference between people who are in good faith making errors. Like I'm sure that we have said some wrong things tonight, but it's, we're not being dogmatic about it. Um, and it's our heart to seek out truth. Right. But I, I worry for people who have been dogmatic about it. Dogmatic in a way where you know that they're definitely hiding certain verses to make their case. That's, Mm -hmm. that's what always scares me. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I know we need to get into 10. I want to read a few notes if that's all right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So here's one and it's just about the trumpet and the bowl and the judgment of Egyptian plagues. Just this little um, note here. And it says uh, the Exodus tradition is an important background for revelation. The Passover typology was initially introduced in five, six when John sees a slain lamb, the two witnesses like Moses were empowered to turn the waters into blood and to strike the earth with plagues. The song of Moses also became the song of the lamb. The plagues against Egypt provides a prophetic background for the serial judgment of the seven trumpets and the seven bowls with six of 10 being replicated in revelation. Mm. Judgments are arranged in increasing degrees of intensity like Pharaoh whose heart became hard. The inhabitants of the earth refused to repent is what it talks about in the end of revelation. So um, definitely a lot there. Uh, Yeah. So 10, this one, Sorry, I'm trying to think of how to start with this. So says, you know, talking about the mighty angel uh, robed in a cloud mm. says uh, reference in Matthew 17, 5 and 24, 30. Mm. So that's interesting. If you want to pull one of those up. Uh, oh, I'm sorry, which like, is the first one? Uh, Matthew 17, 5. Uh, let's see. So then it says. The rainbow became a sign of God's pledge never to destroy the earth with a flood, which I find that interesting because we're seeing the earth destroyed in another way. Um, <laughs> it's like, I just said it wasn't going to be a flood, guys. <laughs> <laughs> since, the, since the Exodus supplies uh, background for the central part of Revelation, uh, let me see. 
Then it talks about the little scroll, not the same as the scroll of destiny in chapter five, since this scroll was intended to reveal its contents, but this scroll was to be eaten. Furthermore, the term little scroll sets off the particular scroll sets this particular scroll apart from others. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think that's pretty obvious. It's not the same scroll. The other one was the seal was broken. It was red. And this one was like, don't tell anybody. I wonder about the seven thunders. We see seven a lot. So seven thunders here says uh, thunder is connected with the divine punishment. Here too is an anticipate Mm. here too. It anticipates the judgment to fall on those who refuse God's love and grace. There's also seven main angels here, right? Yes. Yeah. Because that's the thing we forget. Like not only is God so much bigger and stronger than the old gods that we're up against in the, in the earth today that, that God has temporarily let run amok down here. Uh, He also has good angels. Yeah. (laughs) That, that are just as powerful as these baddies. And I think that sometimes if you read the myths, they show up in the myths sometimes as the few things here and there that the gods are afraid of. Yeah. Did you pull up uh, Matthew 17, 5? I did. It's in the transfiguration. I, I don't think it makes a lot of sense. Um, it's talking about the voice on the cloud speaking over Jesus. Um, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased. Listen to him. I mean, that's just God the Father. I don't really understand why that was linked. I don't know either. Maybe I read it wrong. Mighty angel, perhaps the angel robed in a cloud. What about twenty four thirty? Matthew twenty four thirty. Yeah. Okay. Sometimes it's just saying like this is what some people have said it is, but it doesn't mean right. it's like. Well, the precedent of speaking from a cloud. Yeah. Twenty four thirty. I got it. So then will appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then all the people on the earth will mourn when they see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And will send his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect to the four. Okay, so it's that okay. again. We need to, after we finish Revelation, we're going to do some of these other, you know, Matthew twenty four and Daniel and right some of these yeah. other places that are very prophetic. Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Isaiah, I think. Yeah, definitely Ezekiel, Matthew, and Daniel. Yeah. For sure. And then there's just the whole Bible. We'll just, yeah. we'll <laughs> Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. All so what do you stuff. think what do you think the the eating it, the bitter or the sweet in his mouth, bitter in his stomach thing means? That part is so confusing to me because it's the opposite of what I would expect from something that's coming from God. Right. I would expect it to be bitter in the mouth and sweet in the stomach. Right. Because that's what speaking truth is often like. Right. But this is like, is it this, saying, this sounds like speaking lies though. Like what lies come out sweet as honey. It says in the Bible, right? Mm-hmm. But they lead you to damnation. So I want to read what this note has and okay. see if it helps at all. So it says, I have one idea once you're done. Okay. It says grasp and fully grasp and digest fully the contents of this scroll. The message of this little scroll will involve suffering, bad news in your mouth Sweet as honey. God's eternal purpose will experience no further delay. The good news. That still sounds backwards to me. I don't know why. What are, what are your thoughts? I want to understand this Let me just read it again one. make sure I'm not being crazy. 
I've struggled with this since I was a kid. It's word that's coming from this angel. So it's it's an objectively good word, but it's the way that it's making him feel, right? Right. It's in in And right after he eats it, it says, you must once again prophesy about many peoples and nations and languages and kings. So my one idea is that before the trumpets sounded, the prayers of the saints were like, judge the earth. Please judge the earth. Right. And now we're getting into the very last stage of the judgment. And I wonder if it's like, at first, this feels sweet. It's like this bittersweet thing. Well, that's what I keep thinking is bittersweet. Like... The end is bittersweet. It's going to be awful, but it, there's redemption. I don't right. know. Like at first, it's like, yeah, judge it. And then it's like, wow, this is and maybe just understanding the full Maybe that's what it is. It's like actually just seeing what it would look like. like. Yeah. Like we all want there to be judgment for our enemies. We want there to be justice. Mm. But, you know, the justice, I mean... The, the 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 um the death penalty is justice yeah but it's you know hard to stomach yeah yeah i i think that that's what it is i, I i'd be open to some other interpretation but that's that's what it feels like i want to put a pin in it and come back to it because i feel like the best i can understand out of this is is that idea, the idea of mm. like justice. Justice is, you know, you say, hey, we're getting justice and that sounds good in the mouth because it's, it's good, mm. but seeing it is is another thing maybe. I don't know. Right, and it's, it's this is coming after there's already been an incredible amount of destruction, mm-hmm. but it's like maybe at this point we've understood the curse so much that we have not realized how beautiful the earth was. And so to get to the point where the earth itself is actually being destroyed is, is bitter because it was supposed to be a a good and beautiful thing. Yeah. It was, that was ruined. Well, also this is like pre restoration, right. Of, of God's kingdom. So like watching God's creation be destroyed in this way, even if it is justice, it's, I don't know. It's definitely yeah. something that I'm not saying I have the answer to, and it's something I want to think about. I'll and probably be, see if like, uh, tonight. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. What? We don't have the answers on any of this. Like we're right. just reading it, same as you guys. Yeah, and I think maybe tonight I want to see if I can find a a sermon or an explanation or two, and see what other people have mm. kind of come up with for ideas on this particular chapter. Mm. And again, Abby's right. We're not coming here with the answers. We're coming here to, to talk and to understand because we're we're seeking truth. I mean, that's the whole thing. That's the whole part of our show. That's the whole, everything that we're trying to do, I think, is like to find the truth and let it lead us, which we believe always leads us back to God. But like, we're not always going to be right about things. And mm. um, I think the, the, I think seeking, you know, it says seeking you will find, right? So I think that that's, that's the important thing. So um, but I think we want to do one more chapter before we close out tonight with yeah. chapter 11. We've done about four chapters each time, so that seems perfect. Yeah. Okie dokie. 
Then I was given a measuring rod, like a staff, and I was told rise and measure. Oop. Rise and measure the temple of God and the altar and those who worship there. But do not measure the court outside the temple. Leave that out. For it is given over to the nations, and they will trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. Now, is there's not a temple right now, right? This implies that the temple will be rebuilt before this time. Right, yeah. Right now, there's just the Wailing Wall. Right. The Western Wall, whatever you want to call it, but yeah. And the Temple Mount is taking over with Muslims. <clears throat> yes. Yes. So this is a fa- this is fascinating. This has always fascinated me. Like we're going to really know that this stuff is about to happen when. Well, there's a lot of like prophecy stuff that seems, you know, people have pointed to in 1948, Israel was mm-hmm. rebuilt or sorry. Yeah. Israel became a country again. Yeah. And then exactly 70 years later, which is the same year of Exodus uh, talked about in the Bible is when Jerusalem became you know, the embassy was put there at least. So it's like mm-hmm. a sign of like Jerusalem's coming back in, in a way, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's, in, it's interesting stuff. Also, like I was, you know, noting there was a lot of, I, I was watching this guy talk about all the weird stuff that happened in 1947. And it's like, this is the year of Roswell. <laughs> this is the year of Israel's uh, didn't become a nation yet, but it was put, like the, the bill was put out, like the idea was put out. It was going to co- happen in the next year. And it's also when the um, Dead Sea Scrolls were found all in the mm. same year, which some people have pointed to being like, you know, that's big signs coming true and things like that. So go ahead. Sorry. How dare you? <laughs> this measuring of the temple is also in, is it, it's in Ezekiel, right? Yes. It's fascinating to yeah. me. So it says, they'll trample the holy city for 42 months. And I will grant authority to my two witnesses. And they will prophesy for 1,260 days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands that stand before the Lord of the earth. And if anyone would harm them, Fire pours from their mouth and consumes their foes. If anyone would harm them, this is how he is doomed to be killed. They have the power to shut the sky, that no rain may fall during the days of their prophesying, and they have power over the waters to turn them into blood and to strike the earth with every kind of plague as often as they desire. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that rises from the bottomless pit will make war on them and conquer them and kill them, and their dead bodies will lie in the street of the great city that symbolically is called Sodom and Egypt where their Lord was crucified for three and a half days. Some of some from the peoples and tribes and languages and nations will gaze at their dead bodies and refuse to let them be placed in a tomb. And those who dwell on the earth will rejoice over them and make merry and exchange presents because these two prophets had been a torment to those who dwell on the earth. This sounds like it's going to happen at Christmas time. (laughs) But after the three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them and they stood up on their feet and great fear fell on those who saw them. Then they heard a loud voice from heaven saying to them, come up here. And they went up to heaven in a cloud and their enemies watched them. And at that hour, there was a great earthquake and a tenth of the city fell. 
7,000 people were killed in the earthquake and the rest were terrified and gave glory to the God of heaven. There's a lot of earthquakes throughout this whole thing. Like the earth is in turmoil. Right. Yeah. The second woe has passed. Behold, the third woe is soon to come. So traditionally, these two witnesses are Abraham and Moses. Moses and Elijah. Moses and Elijah. I'm sorry. Yes, you're correct. Moses and Elijah. Yeah. Yeah, because you've got Elijah who stopped the rain and Moses who had was able to cast the plagues and turn the... Yeah, so it's, it's yeah. symbolism of those. Uh, this note here says, uh, the two witnesses are modeled after Moses and Elijah. They may symbolize testifying believers in the final period of Christ's return, or they may be two actual individuals who will be martyred for their proclamation of the truth. So Does it I, te- say- I tend to read it as two actual people than just a symbolism of... Right. Types of people. Do you think that they are actually Moses and Elijah or if they are two people who have never lived before but are kind of emulating that spirit? I tend to think it's actually Moses and Elijah, but I don't know. I've always like left behind had it being actually Moses and Elijah. And maybe it's just that like Sorry, what are your thoughts? I think if it was, it would say so. Right. That when 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 you see them in the transfiguration, it says Moses and Elijah were there. Right, yeah. They've already completed their journey on the earth. They've already entered into their final reward, and then God's going to send them back for... No, you're right. Incredible- I, think, I think it probably is people in the spirit of Moses and Elijah. Yeah, I guess I was just thinking like it seemed like it seemed like the Jews in the, you know, early parts of the New Testament really believed that Moses and Elijah would come back. So that's that's kind of where my thought was on that. They did. And and not to say they were right. I, I mean, you know, just interesting some of thought. them thought. I think this is a case where people often make gods when they're not supposed to make gods like. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking that too because it seemed like, you know, when when Jesus asked them, you know, who am I? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're Moses. Mm. Um, You're right. Making gods out of Elijah and Moses was kind of condemned in that way. (laughs) So. And and he didn't say like, it's not their time to come back yet. Right. Like he didn't confirm in any way. Yeah. I always thought it was Moses and Elijah, but reading this right now makes me think it's not. You know, what's interesting is this particular verse for whatever reason about the two witnesses just keeps coming back to me over the last few months. And it's something I feel like I need to do more study on. And I was thinking that before tonight, it's like something that randomly appears in things that I'm reading or randomly comes into thought. So that's another thing I want to put a pin in and, and think about, but I think you're right on that. I don't mm. think that it's, it's interesting because like we hear about the spirit of, or, you know, things like that as in like in the style of, or maybe actually like guided by depending on how you look at it, mm. um, where we'll see like, you know, one of the things I've been researching lately is like the spirit of uh, Ahab and Jezebel and how they right. revelation talks about Jezebel in reference to that, that spirit of, of, you know, promiscuity and, and, uh, you know, uh, feminism. 
right. which is what she represents. And then Ahab being like the the simp, I guess, is like one way to put it if you want to use modern lingo. Like, yeah, Jezebel, do whatever you want. I'll just sit here and like, you know, be a, a coward. Sir Edward um, over on Rumble said, I had heard Elijah and Enoch because neither died. That is a good point, too, that would kind of cut against what I said earlier about them having completed their lives. Where well, that was what Elijah, threw me off is like Moses did die, but Elijah yeah. didn't. Yeah. If if they're actually coming back, if somebody is actually coming back, I would be I would more readily believe Elijah and Enoch than I would. Well, it does seem interesting that they why they were swept up mm. before. You know what I mean? That's a good point. Because Enoch's the first person in the Bible that didn't die. Yeah. And he and lived then, in the days of Noah. And it says as the before. <laughs> I've changed my mind again. It's Enoch. See, but like that, when you say it that way, now I can see it a little bit more. Whereas like maybe people are misinterpreting this as Moses because of the plagues and the rivers turning red. But mm. it, it there, it's always been a question in my mind, like why certain people were taken up without dying. It's a good question and it's never answered. So, and, and that two were taken up and two were mentioned here. I just don't know why they're not, why their body was preserved. I should say, you know what I mean? Mm. Like that's an interesting thought. Like, because if they were taken up, does that mean that they could still come back in physical form? In physical form. Dang. I just don't understand why they're not named here, but maybe that's not for me to understand. Yeah, Saltzilla also says that people said John the Baptist was said to be Elijah by some. Yeah. Hmm. So I do, I do curious. No, he wasn't. But like, I do think it's curious that there's a belief. It's something I'm trying to study is like, you know, the belief system of people in Jesus's time. Not that they were right on everything. Obviously, they weren't. But where those beliefs come from is interesting to me. Like, Mm -hmm. um, I don't know. It's interesting. It's interesting stuff. Like the fact that you know, people who read the Old Testament and memorized it had these ideas, um, whether it was either misinterpretation or misunderstanding. Uh, you know, Jesus plenty of times comes and says, you don't understand the Bible. You don't, mm. you know, so like there's that, but there's also like, I wonder why those beliefs are there. Um, and maybe some of them are are interesting to, to think about. Yeah. Yeah. Then All the right. seventh angel blew his trumpet. And there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Which is seems a pretty clear indication that the kingdom has not come yet, and this is the moment when it comes. Yeah, this cuts against... This cuts against uh, we were talking about this, but I feel like you were kind of saying to me yesterday that you think some of this like... Uh, well, I'll just let you say it again. Uh, like I'm having sure. a high view of God is what you were talking about with the, because we were talking yeah. about naysayers and doomsayers and people being blackpilled and stuff like that and kind of the other side of that. I think there, there are a couple different views of Revelation and I think both of them have correct things and, and incorrect things about them. And the 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 pre-trib view tends to be like everything in revelation is downhill it, it, it's this doom and gloom it's the world is awful there's nothing we can do it's all going to crap 
Um, and it's this is this is the victory moment, right? Um, and then the other view is that the kingdom has already come. All of this prophecy has already played out, and it's just doesn't seem to be the case. But it's like the already not yet. Like the Holy Spirit came, and and the kingdom of God got started. Right. We, right. God's living in people for the first time ever and and gaining well, power. Can I say something really quick that just struck me while you're saying that? This is why I tend to look at Revelation the way I look at Isaiah. Um, mm. Because in in the old times, the Old Testament, you had God gave them the law and then Jesus came with the fulfillment of the law. Mm. So I, I tend to think of Revelation being that way. It's like we had Christ and salvation come and this is the summation of that the fulfillment of that right mm. so when you when you look back at how the jews read isaiah and then you realize how it played out it's like it was all there it was telling us what was going to happen but some people believed uh, very differently about it and I, I i tend to read revelation as this is like our isaiah about mm. what's coming and i also tend to see the bible having parallels and being bookended and having uh repeating themes throughout it so to me, it, it, it's this is just my view on Revelation. What I've come to is like I see this as the fulfillment, the way that I, that Jesus was the fulfillment of the law. Um, so it's not that God's kingdom didn't come, you know, through Jesus Christ and salvation and the Holy Spirit and all these things that came. But I don't think that it's impossible for me to look at the world and think that we're living in the kingdom of God and that it's like all right. done and said and over and we're good uh, when the world is actively getting much, much worse all of the time. Uh, yeah, I also think that's kind of a progressive view of humanity that I've never resonated with. The idea that humans are basically good and getting better. I don't think the world is basically good and getting better since Jesus either. So, I mean, I don't know. But God is doing a work that right. can't be discounted, that has been cumulative over time. If you look yes. at when Adam and Eve first, it's like a story that's been building on itself. When Adam and Eve first sinned, he just killed a, a a sheep and then made them close. And that was like a one dimensional salvation. Mm -hmm. And then when he came and chose Israel and gave the law and had them build the temple and set up this whole theocracy, it was like a two dimensional salvation. Mm -hmm. And then Jesus comes and he fulfills all of that law. And it's just a genuinely three dimensional fits fits us salvation but it's not like it's not all of god's plan and what's coming is a four-dimensional or uh, i don't know i think four-dimensional is the way to put it like wouldn't the fourth dimension be time anyway according mm. to most people so because this idea that cs lewis proposed of everything works backwards everything yeah. everything evil comes undone yeah it's not just that it's not just that moving forward, everything's good. It's that everything, everything from all time is put right again. Yeah. Jess says, we will not see heaven on earth, but we are still called to live our lives and joy and show the world how great God's goodness is in whatever small ways we can. Yeah. And I don't think it matters. I think that there's so much like, this is all we know. And so it's difficult to imagine mm -hmm. it getting better when we know it's all going to die in fire. But I think that, like, don't you want to be a part of the victory? 
do you want to just, do you really want to just sit back and say, well, everything's going to shit, so I'm just going to sit back and do nothing and wait till Jesus comes? Is that how you want him to find you? Is this how you want to be when Jesus comes back? <laughs> like, I want to participate yeah. in this as long as I'm allowed to to be involved, and it seems like the saints are involved throughout this entire process. I also have to say this, too. Like, this idea that everything's said and done, we have to sit around and do nothing. I keep running into this idea from people, and I'm like, man, the people who knew Jesus personally didn't believe that. Mm-hmm. They were willing to die for their faith. So this idea that, you know, well, it was all said and done and taken care of and we can't do anything. We just have to sit and wait it out uh, is so anti-biblical <laughs> in every it's it's antithetical to the gospel in every way. Uh, and I just that's why, you know, we've had this talk a lot about not becoming blackpilled and not looking at things like there's nothing we can do that speaking truth doesn't matter. The prof, you know, uh, projecting the word of God into the world and and. It, uh, none of it matters. It's just so uh, antithetical to the to the Bible, yeah. and and I think that there's one hand, again. It, it goes back to chapter ten, where it's like this bittersweet idea, where it's like on one hand, it feels like there's nothing we can do, and I don't think that that is where we need to stay, and I don't think that's where our mindset mm-hmm. needs to be. It's also why I don't like the pre-trib idea, or it, it, I don't like the the mindset that pre-trib puts into people of I'm mm-hmm. just going to wait because I'll be raptured. So screw you guys. Right. Uh, I've heard people say this about abortion where it's like, well, they're going to he- the babies who are murdered are going to heaven. So like <sighs> what, what difference does it make if I do anything about it? And it's like, you want to allow people to actually like sacrifice children to demonic gods and just sit back and be mm-hmm. like, eh, I can't do anything about it. Um, I mean, God punished Israel harshly when they sat back and let, uh, child sacrifice happen yeah so yeah and i think that there's a there's a wrong focus too of like of course we're not going to be able to save the world like that's not what we're called to do but we are called to spread the gospel and we all card are called to be faithful in our own lives and set an example for other people and encourage the believers and all of this stuff. There's so much that we can do. And I think that the mindset of, I love the earth so much that I'm just going to despair because it's falling apart. is just the wrong way of looking at everything. I think Jordan Peterson had this exactly right where he said, the first thing you do is make your bed. Mm. And I think we often, you know, I've actually literally had people say, well, what how, you can't change this huge thing that's way beyond your control that's massive and global and whatever. And it's like, dude, that's not what I'm trying to do. And it's not what I'm, I'm not so delusional. And so I don't have this grand, you know, uh, delusions of grandeur to the point where I think I'm going to change everything, but I can change the people that are in my life. I can affect certain people. So if we all looked at as in like, I can take care of my household. I can do something in my Mm -hmm. community. I can do something in my church and in my family. uh, And that would be good enough for us instead of having this like, you know, superhero mentality that we actually have to go and fight Ultron, you know, or something like that. Um, I don't know, man. I think, I think that we're looking at things backwards. Like everybody has this idea that unless you can actually do everything and God's telling us time and time again, you can't, you can't save the world. Only I can, but you have a part Mm. to play Um, and you can be a part of it or not, but you will be judged based on what you're given. The, the the idea of the talents, right. Keeps Mm -hmm. coming back to me. It's like, you might've been given little, that doesn't mean you bury it. It's the thing that I keep coming back to. Right. The person who was given the least is the person who buried their talent in the desert and was like, look, I, I kept the thing you gave me and God punished him for it. Yeah. Um, 
So I think about Esther, Esther four fourteen a lot yeah. too, where Esther is called to. After you, I found that the same day you did, and the same week, two people called me and said, "Have you read Esther lately?" <laughs> it's it's been it's been one of those verses as resonated for a very mm-hmm. long time. It it's crazy to me how verses that I read with great weight when I was very young are coming to me now. Like, okay, this is the time you're supposed to pay attention. Like, this is why I gave it to you all this time ago. But it says for, if you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. And who knows whether you have not come to the kingdom for such a time as this. So, I mean, that's so harsh and so powerful at the same time. It's like, I have called you to do this. And if you won't do it, I don't freaking need you. Like, right. you, I, I will find somebody else. You will die. And I will find someone else. Right. <laughs> but wouldn't you like to be a part of this? Yeah. And my focus in a lot of this is just, I want to name the evil because I think it should be named. And I want to participate in the good. And I want to watch and see and understand what God's doing to the best extent that I can. I want to enjoy it. I want to sit here and I want to enjoy it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's another thing too, is I feel like as Christians, if we're not uh, finding joy in things that we're doing something wrong, that's that's the yeah. way I look at things. That's why I feel like the Babylon Bee has been the most successful of, of any mm-hmm. of anybody right now, because they are having fun and participating in, in bringing people uh, closer to God. So I think that's the way yeah. we should do it. They're naming the evil and they're just laughing. <laughs> it's <laughs> they're mocking the, they're mocking the evil and it's changing the world. It is amazing. Isn't that insane though? Like legitimately that the Babylon Bee has actually changed the world by mm-hmm. pointing at evil and laughing at it. And anybody who says the Babylon Bee hasn't changed the world is not paying attention. They have. So, it's craziness. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Where are we? Um let's you finish chapter eleven. So okay. I think where we right here, we give thanks to the Lord. Okay. Fifth, or we can yeah, start at 15 again. Let's reread that. Then the seventh angel blew his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven saying, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. And the 24 elders who sit on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshiped him, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, who is and who was, for you have taken your great power and begun to reign. The nations raged, but your wrath came, and the time for the dead to be judged, and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and saints, and those who fear your name, both small and great, and for destroying the destroyers of the earth. I like that. For destroying mm-hmm. the destroyers of the earth. Then God's temple Apollo, in heaven was Shiva, opened. Apollo, Shiva, and all, of, all the destroyers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and the Ark of the Covenant was seen within this within his temple. There were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. Yeah. I found that interesting earlier when you pointed out like the Ark of the Covenant and things like that were the when God instructed uh, you know, Abraham to or Moses, sorry, to make the the ark, it's like this is something that's in heaven that's being like duplicated here on earth in a way. I found that interesting. It also makes me wonder, we need to do an episode on the Ark of the Covenant at some point. Mm. Because I also wonder if like it's been missing for so long, if it was just like actually taken up, taken back to heaven or 
if it's somewhere on the earth. I don't know. I wonder about the Ark of the Covenant and the Ark of Noah. Now, people have claimed to find the Ark of Noah and people have gone looking for it. I don't think we're going to find that because I think that they used it to build houses out of and they would have been stupid not to. Yeah. To use all that good wood. There, there is pretty interesting evidence that they found it on the mountain that it's supposed to have been found on, though. Really? I thought yeah. that was a hoax. No, we didn't we talk about this on one of... Or maybe I put it in my notes and we didn't get to it. Mm. It was the Hillary Clinton and the Nephilim DNA episode. Somebody, if, <gasps> if you remember, right, if I talked about it or not. But basically, um, both where Gilgamesh and where the Bible says that the Ark... Or, yeah, the the ark was um, is where they found something in that shape. That's petrified wood. That's the exact cubit length on this oh. mountaintop. And it's been basically sealed off by the governments of the world to like not go <laughs> investigate it. Interesting. So, but I don't know. I mean, maybe, maybe it was reused for, for houses and things like that. Um, it does seem like in that time though, they were building everything out of stone. So I don't know. That's a good point too. Right. I've heard a rumor that the Ark is in the Vatican. I do have a feeling that the Ark is is still on the earth and that it'll be a big part of I was going to say the same thing. Down. Yeah. I, I We've talked about, you know, like this is an idea put forth in Bluebeam, but I, I think that it's a real thing too, that uh, we're going to start seeing archaeological discoveries that change the world in big ways. And some of them will be fake and some of them will be real. Mm. And I do wonder... I do wonder if the ark being found is like one of those, one of those things. Will it be the catalyst for the temple being rebuilt? Cause they'll need some place to put it. Wouldn't that, would there be a better catalyst? Mm, I can't think of one. I mean, cause that's what the Holy of Holies is, right? The, yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. I don't know. And it I'm could be in the Vatican. I'm not in, sure. I'm curious why it's in heaven because it, it was, like hasn't its purpose been fulfilled and maybe it's just decorative at this point to like look back. On well, it could it be done. that the art the in heaven, it like the one on earth is a representation of the one in heaven mm, that we were saying and earlier. Something else. Maybe the two different things. Mm. Like it's, uh, I don't know. I don't know. Catholics believe that Mary became the new Ark of the covenant. I wonder about that here. Hmm. Fascinating. The symbolism is interesting because the Ark of the covenant held the law. And Mary held Jesus, who was the fulfillment of the, the law. The word, yeah. The word. Mm, that's fascinating. Bobby, not everything is in the Vatican except birds, correct? Everything is in the Vatican except birds. <laughs> the uh, drones okay. are in there, though. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, uh, so we finished chapter 11. Sir Edward says, if it's found, will anyone believe it's real? That's well, a great question. If it's opened and a bunch of Nazis have their faces melted off. <laughs> I think the Nazis found a lot of things, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. I I think that deserves some de- uh some some I, I think there's a lot of people who've forgotten just how uh occult the Nazis were and how much that like how much of them going to Africa was to actually look for like, like yeah. that's the part of the war. There's so much about World War II that just doesn't get talked about that I find the by the the lack of it being talked about is like the important part of it, right? So, for mm-hmm. instance, like 
when I was in school, we never really learned about the Japanese campaign and like why we were at war with Japan and all that stuff. It's like, oh, the Japanese attacked Pearl Harbor. And then we fought Hitler in Europe. And that's like the whole story you get. And then when I really delved into it, I was like, oh, the Japanese were like as bad or worse than the Nazis. And no one wants to talk about it because we have to feel bad about the, the you know, dropping the nukes and things like that. So America becomes the bad guy in that situation. Um, but I find it interesting that Africa is literally never talked about. Yeah, all the Africa campaigns like you might see it referenced in a movie where it's like, yeah, we're in a tank regiment in Africa or best example, like Operation High Jump talked about that a little bit. But like you also talk uh, like Wolfenstein is one of those few things that actually like delves into that really well. And I find it funny that video games have a better uh, <laughs> do a better job of talking so about the, the occultic shit that uh, Hitler was in. Sorry, excuse me. The occultic stuff that Hitler was into and the, the things they were looking for in Africa. You know what I mean? The video games. Whenever I go looking into stuff about the old gods, video games are always coming up. They've yeah. really preserved a lot of this myth. I think a lot of the myths have been preserved in pop culture in a way that uh, people aren't recognizing yet. Like the new Ant-Man movie, like literally showing the gods being the same creatures and like, uh, you know, literally uh, it's Horus is in the end of Ant-Man 2 or something like that, which I find interesting. So, yeah, I don't know. I think I think that's an, uh, something we should t- kind of delve into is like what's what was Hitler looking for and what did they find? Yeah. Yeah. I definitely think that there were spiritual things behind the world wars. I mean, we're, we're told that world war one started because somebody assassinated like one guy, but this is where fiction gets it more right than anybody else. Because I hate that. I hate DC stuff, but wonder woman, like the idea is that literally an Egyptian God was behind the whole world war one. It was like a very spiritual war. And then, uh, Wolfenstein gets it right where it's like, actually the whole search for like the the ark of the covenant and the holy grail and like this like demonic sacrifice stuff hellboy gets it right too like i find it funny that sometimes fiction is not afraid to go or to places that the historians are too afraid to talk about and touch even if even if it's there in black and white and there's like evidence of all of these things world war one makes no sense from the history books it just doesn't i know people have spent their life trying to figure out world war Mm one from a very humanistic standpoint and they're like Spent 30 years digging into it, and I can't tell you why the hell the whole world went to war. It makes no sense. Franz Duke Ferdinand, like, we actually believe that? It doesn't make sense. You want to know a funny story, you guys? Fuck it. Um, (laughs) I went to a a college called Patrick Henry College, and somebody in one of the classes a couple years before me decided to edit the Wikipedia article about the assassination of Archduke Ferdinand to say that first he was um, that the assassination the assassin pistol whipped a bystander before he killed Archduke Ferdinand. Right. He just wrote that in there. And then it got like weirdly sub referenced. So Wikipedia accepted it, but it was a self reference. And then other things started referencing Wikipedia. So now there's like this weird little virus of history that I found in other websites that say that there's this pistol whipping. I think I've heard that. You've heard that? Yes. A Patrick Henry College in a podcast wrote that into the Wikipedia article for fun. How much of history is like that? <laughs> yeah. Wow. True story. <laughs> <laughs> 
I think you're right, though. I think I think that the world wars have. Uh, I think they're way more spiritual than we want to realize. And World War Two was a natural continuation, right, of World War One, but it was still. I mean, everything about Hitler was demonic. Yeah, literally. Everything he believed, everything he was searching for, like the the it was very occult. I mean, even like this is uncomfortable, but he he in World War One, the only reason he survived is because a voice spoke in his head and said, Get out of this trench. And so he got up and got out of the trench and then it was bombed. Right. Like he had some demon watching over. Him. Well, there was also another there's another story too of a guy that could have killed Hitler and then was like, No. Mm. Didn't kill him in World War One. I, I'd have to look it up, but like, yeah, there was something, I mean, I, I know a lot of, I know some pastors are just not even afraid to be like, yeah, Hitler was like a demon possessed person. Like this just very obvious uh, thing. I think that's true, but yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It's, it's interesting that he's like named as the villain of history because he did a lot less than Stalin and Mao and Pol Pot, but he was way more demonic. Yeah, I think there's another theory of why that is, which has to do with the, um, uh, wow, I can't think of it. The college in Germany that came to America and like infiltrated our institutions. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about, but basically they're communists. So like if the, basically a bunch of communists came from Germany that were fleeing uh, Hitler and they, wanted to make sure that all the history books had a very Hitler focus because they didn't want to make communism look bad. So they downplayed Pol Pot. They downplayed uh, Stalin. They downplayed, um, I can't think China. Um, What's his name? But like, that's one interesting thought, but I think you're right too. I think there was something very spiritual that we all recognized was Hitler was deeply demonic. Mm -hmm. But I mean, if you think about it, like so was, so was Stalin. Stalin's like, Russia was atheistic. Uh, it was government forced atheism is what mm. it was. And the persecution of the church in, in Russia is never talked about. There's one book called the devil and Karl Marx that I read. And it talks about the basically like if you, if you read about what they did to the Catholics in Russia during this time that Hitler was doing all this stuff to the Jews, it's like as bad or worse, but it never gets talked about in history. Mm. It's, it's interesting stuff. There's definitely a there's definitely reasons why certain people don't want it talked about, I think. Mm. I don't know. Anyway, sorry, t- side tangent, but uh yeah, I want to say again, thank you guys for being here. We'll continue this soon with chapter 12. Did you have anything you want to talk about before we head off for the night? No, I think we're good. All right. Well, <laughs> hopefully you guys appreciate this. I don't know how we got off into conspiracy side tangents is kind of our thing but we will be back (laughs) Wednesday night at 7 o'clock for another full conspiracy pilled show and we'll have some some new things to tell you and some new announcements so definitely don't miss Wednesday I think it's going to be really interesting we'll have some stuff to tell you big things are happening guys so keep praying for us keep reading your Bibles and we appreciate you guys and we will see you all on Wednesday God bless (laughs) 